0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking systematic trading and systematic traders in the commodities world. What is systematic trading? What are the algorithms behind it? What do they do? What are their benefits? and what's the consequences for the commodities sector itself? How prevalent is systematic trading in the market? What's the scale and size of the CTAs? And how are traditional market participants responding? Our guest is Stephen Rosemey. Stephen is the founder and CEO of Bridgeton Group, a developer and provider of systematic trading capabilities to the commodities markets. And Stephen has a 30-year career in systematic trading across asset classes. As always, if you enjoy the episode, please do leave us a positive review on the platform you're listening on. It really supports those algorithms to promote the show and enable us to get more guests. I hope you enjoy the episode. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we're talking systematic trading in the commodities world. And this has a huge, not only in terms of prevalence, but assets under management, and also how it's impacting the market operations today. Before we get into the consequences and what organizations should be doing to keep ahead of this trend, to adopt it, etc., to to use the best of the technology, can you just help us understand what exactly do we mean by systematic trading or algorithmic trading?
1: Essentially an algorithm, or systematic, uh, you know, we can use systematic process we can use uh, together, but it's essentially a rules-based process to establish and manage a trade. And there's several steps within that, those rules and that processes, is that first it's what is your bias? What's your thesis in the market? Are you bullish or are you bearish? Secondly, uh, how are you going to initiate that position? Um, There's typically a secondary signal uh, within that in which you're initiating the trade. Then there's the risk management and the sizing of the position. Very important components within an algorithm is to have those type of uh, disciplines. And then once the position is uh, on, how are you managing that trade? Do you have a stop? Are you coming out of the market with a profit-taking mechanism, et cetera? So each one of those steps is very, very important, but they're somewhat simplistic in and of themselves. So that really is how the algorithmic development occurs.
0: And, and the point there is that you you okay you come up with your thesis and we'll, come, we'll talk about where that data comes from and, and how to categorize that data. But you, you come up with this thesis, you create those, the steps and the algorithm, and then you just leave it alone, right? Then it's, then it's off it's managing itself, so to speak. And you've probably got multiple of these on at any given point. And the big trick is that you're sort of hoping that, or well, you're not hoping, but you're you're working on the basis that a, a majority of those, or the, the, the outcome of all of those different algorithms
1: is that there's a profit, right? That's exactly right. So think in terms of what frequency the algorithm is uh, set for. So where we use more daily based processes So where we're looking at the entire data from the prior day in order to inform us on what we're going to do the following day and that discipline is it's a consistent approach so once the position's on every day we are going to reassess the market and reassess where that trade is in relation to how it's been designed and it becomes a very dynamic process. As far as it's funny, uh, as far as the profits percentage of times you're profitable, some of the best strategies are maybe profitable three or four times out of 10. But where the edge lies is the edge lies in the fact that when you are right, you are making significantly more than the risk you initiated the trade with. So there's a lot of methods in which we build this entire process up. Um, which we can get into,
0: and I, I want to talk move on to the benefits and and why these things exist essentially, and why they're being increasingly adopted. But I, before we just say that, this has been around for quite some time, right? There's some very famous systematic trading funds out there, Renaissance Capital, etc. You know, where is what's the genesis of this? Is this how is how long has this been going, and you know where where is it most established right now, or at least the last decade or so?
1: Yeah, it's been around for quite some time, and I would say the initial phases of let's call it systematic trading really were generated around the more simplistic technical analysis books, etc. And I would say in the eighties, uh, late seventies and eighties, we saw the genesis of some very sophisticated at that for that time approaches to the market. And that is when I believe the whole idea of having a process, you know, from a trade initiation to the the building of the portfolio uh, started to really accelerate. And today that has continued to be advanced. However, there are some... Approaches that are still holding well through this entire uh, paradigm shift. So, okay, thanks for that. So, can you talk us through? I, I think you
0: know that's a, a good enough description of what a systematic, what the components of a systematic trade, and and sort of the the, the outline of it. Why have these become so prevalent? What is the benefit of systematic trading? And, and maybe we can start off from kind of the, the human perspective, like what, what, do, they, what do they circumvent that, it, that, that human traders potentially
1: do? I think that for me and, and being around trading my entire career, it's discipline. One of the biggest issues I've seen is when emotions and stress get in a trader's way and it really it hinders their ability to adapt to that what's happening today and how that relates to their position that they have on. And this can lead to a catastrophic series of mistakes. And the algorithm or the systematic approach really is generated around, it's not a sin to step aside, to step out of the trade and reassess. And by creating these algorithms and testing and, and allowing yourself to simulate A significant amount of different scenarios that embeds experience and discipline and it's almost like you're training a whole season for the playoffs so before you even enter the market with these algorithms with this discipline you felt the hits the losses you understand what success looks like and therefore you're coming into uh, the market with less uncertainty and I think that confidence offers a significant edge to traders.
0: Yeah, because you're able to take that algorithm, I know this is quite simplistic, I apologize, but you're able to generate these theses, these algorithms, these modular pieces of the algorithm, and then go back and essentially test it in all the historical environment, or the on the historical data, right? That's what you're saying there.
1: That's exactly right. And And, and the proper way of looking at that is, you're going to take, you're going to not to get too into the weeds, but you've got to take a piece of data over some point in time and see really is what I'm thinking or how I want to deploy this realistic. Does it have, is, or is the theory just falling apart? And so you have different ways of validating and building and testing that really hold hold up well in real time. And that whole process is it an incredibly important part of this paradigm and that's something that some people don't really fully understand before they get into this.
0: Yeah. Philosophically, did these did this form of trading come round first and foremost because of an increasing recognition that, you know, humans aren't sort of the optimal economic animal, right? If you've read your Daniel Kahneman and your prospect theory and all these things, was when when people set out to do this, right, the early leaders in this, Ray Dalio, et cetera, did they specifically say, we're going to take trading like this because it's, it, it avoids the human biases and errors and, and failure to, correctly calculate risk. And was, is that how this came about? Or was it sort of other reasons and then we realized that was a, a, a nice benefit to have? I
1: think it's a really interesting question. And I will say there are some traders that I've encountered over the years that have been incredible, instinctual traders. They just have a natural understanding of when to dynamically increase their position without any real need for an algorithmic process. But what's happened is a lot of the returns come from a broad array of algorithms being deployed and that kind of gets us into one of the other benefits is when you're developing an algorithm the idea is that you can use this algorithm across a wide array of markets and that it has a specific utility in a specific environment. To try to do that you know, as a discretionary trader it would be very, very difficult. So I think what really prompted the growth has been deploying it across a lot of different areas and doing it in a way that you have developing a platform that can manage that. I think if there's still some unbelievably impressive individual traders who typically are focused on a more narrow set of markets but if they want to go deeper into that market or broader into other markets there's going to be a need to adopt some disciplines that involve what we're discussing today
0: yeah okay and just before we move on to sort of some you know the the algorithms themselves and how they're designed just staying on the 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 benefits and keeping within that rubric these also are much more effective at managing risk because you know as as you kindly have shown me your platform you know and and how these things work they are when you design them they automatically have these limits in limits out to take profit etc so what does that do for risk management what does that do for you know sharp ratios returns and that side of things
1: so think about how it's another good question because when you start building an algorithm, you have to keep them simple. You cannot create an overly complex algorithm or it will fail to work in the future. So there's no single algorithm for all environments. So what you have to do is you have to build these for certain util for certain use cases. So if I want a more shorter term approach or I want a longer term approach, you can't embed that into a single Set of algor- one algorithm, so you're building up these. I'm going to use strategies for this for this particular segment. Is these strategies are basically algorithms that have a very specific purpose, and each one of those, if you apply that to a single market, the Sharpe ratio is not going to be all that impressive. But when you start building these up and you start creating strategies and algorithms that have somewhat a low correlation to each other, there's a portfolio effect that does take hold. And as you go wider across markets, you start to see that increase. So that's the nature of how you're developing, is you have a bottom-up approach for how you're going to deploy these. And then you have kind of a top-down, how am I going to allocate into this set of strategies.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just, just some sense of scale here, you know, when we're talking about one of these big systematic trading funds, I mean, how, I mean, we're not talking about having 10 or 20 algorithms running at any given point, right? We're talking an incredible
1: volume and array of, of algorithms deployed. It's an array, for sure. And how I would look at this is, when you look at the algorithms and how they can be applied, the array of markets themselves from energy, metals, agricultural currencies, et cetera, and then how they're further applied into different expressions, flat price, strips, time spreads, relative value, et cetera, you're creating a very large array of strategies and markets. Cumulatively, that is where you get your performance.
0: So, okay, so just we've, We've we've just had Greg Newman on talking about the financialization of oil markets. That's, you know, a a broader trend. You know, over the last 30 years has become increasingly, you know, an increase in the number of derivative contracts available on exchanges, you know, more volume on exchanges in general, and more commodities coming onto those exchanges. Has that both unlocked the ability to use algorithms in the commodities sector? And then I will also touch on this, potential for algorithms to be disrupted in, you know, when you've got sort of these massive moments of volatility and flows and so forth that you've, I mean, the role of algorithms within that, if you'd like, of either exacerbating those trends, or how they're impacted by it in those, you know, in the fat tail event, so to speak?
1: Well, I think your first um, first part of your statement with Greg, it was a very interesting podcast in the sense that he did recognize that there is more granularity in the ability to trade different areas because of the financialization. And any time you add a new contract, you will need ultimately the liquidity. And for a speculative paper to step in, you know, they're being rewarded for taking the risk through, hopefully, P&L. So there needs to be some embedded edge. So absolutely, algorithms are always looking for new areas in which they can be deployed because, as I said earlier, the greater amount of strategies you can apply to a portfolio, usually you're going to see a much better risk-adjusted return. So we have seen a migration into natural gas, European power, natural gas basis in a huge array and much deeper. So rather than just uh, trading flat price WTI, we're trading the entire curve. We're trading it against, you know, the cracks. We're uh, trading it against other markets, other locations. So that really opens up the door for algorithms to grow.
0: Yes, right. Okay, so... And that and that's the the rich fertile land that we you know really over the last decade they, these systematic traders have come into the commodity space, and indeed the traders themselves have had to adopt this tool or or, or certainly see the 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 relevance of adopting it. Just that, that sort of second part of my um, I apologise my compound question <laughs> is is do we see you know when when we have let's you know whether it's any any asset class right equities or something when you're having these dramatic swings I mean you just have to look at the the S and P five hundred six hundred point swings are, are no longer that uncommon compared to a decade ago is that because you've got all these algorithms algorithms whirring in the background trend following
1: I think. It can be. So just to be very clear, there are events outside of the fundamental world of supply-demand world that can be triggered by these algorithms for sure because they at times will interact with, e- with each other and create these exaggerated moves. So what happens is a confluence of different strategies. So for example, if a trend model is getting stopped out an immune version model maybe entering the market and they have similar, you know, order levels or there's similar areas in which they're going to be executing their trades, that confluence can create supply-demand imbalances. And that's something that's very important to try to be aware of those areas, because if you start to see that it can create a significant move in the short term. So that's a very important element of this algorithmic development is to create the ability to better understand and manage these events.
0: And that comes from this sort of Nirvana-like state of the, which we hadn't talked about before on the podcast, but you know, where, and particularly relevant to commodities, where all of these derivatives ultimately at some point, if you let them run along enough, end up at a physical you know, a molecule or, or a grain or whatever it might be, having that supply and demand backdrop is, is crucial and can be very much enhancing to capture those moments. So, the okay, let's just, just talk data for a moment. Um, when you're creating your thesis, there's two broad forms of data, intrinsic and extrinsic. And I, let's start on intrinsic because that's very much where systematic trading genesis is, is based in.
1: That's correct. Most of the algorithmic models really do not use much, any supply-demand data in their thesis, directional thesis. Usually it's a quantitatively driven around price, around volatility. Uh, some use open interest, others use, can use the commitment to traders reports. So there's a lot of different intrinsic data to each market. That will be used to initially generate that thesis. Everything downstream, in that is, when I say downstream, in the trade entry mechanisms, the risk, trade sizing, position management, that is also using volatility, price, et cetera, intrinsic data. Uh, yep,
0: great. And then then, then extrinsic data?
1: Well, That's just it's, for clarity's sake. Yeah. So it, 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 I'm just going to um I'll say extrinsic data in for our use um some may argue that the word but for our use it is anything around the supply demand and there's been an explosion in that area of data with sensors, satellite data, you know tracking the storage, tracking movements, transactional data, et cetera. There's an incredible amount in there, and some of these firms I would say who have an exceptional forecasting mechanisms will greatly benefit from that and have a and potentially have an advantage over people just using the intrinsic data for their thesis generation
0: yeah and while we're staying on definitions, you mentioned earlier trend following and, and mean reverting algorithms there are these sort of broad categories of systematic trading or algorithms that are put on. can you just Just talk us through, just sort of, just so people can recognize this. These they will probably already know, but recognize this language
1: when they when they hear it out there. Sure. So when we're trading the market, that is, uh, that is crude oil prices, not any of its derivatives. What typically these algorithms will do is they'll apply a different type of approach. Trend following has in my opinion, been one of the most stable and sought after from an investor standpoint, simply because they have a very deep track record. There's great asset managers out there using these. And what those are doing is they're trying to benefit from these moves, underlying moves in the market that have these ex- well, extended moves. And these directional moves typically will allow them to profit significantly during time periods of higher volatility, uh, economic stress, et cetera. So they're going to deploy a set of strategies you know, across uh, ten or so, some short, some mid, some longer term, most are around midterm, and they're going to go across the global macro. And that's you know, all the commodities, plus currencies, equities, and fixed income. And they have a really, like a long option profile. They have periods in time when they're really not making a lot of money in lower vol periods. But then there's times where they have an explosive return. And that's the personality. But they do, you know, I think they're one of the most popular approaches in the market because of the history. Some, some other strategies that have been around have been more the reversion. Uh, strategies that's not as big, but they are looking to try to capture these quick shifts that tend to be far outside a defined level of movement that they believe uh, is is stable, and they will trade uh, kind of the reversion back to whatever they believe fair value is. Then you have patterns, which is more seasonal patterns, some uh, other types of nuanced trading, Still not to the same level as the trend following uh, models. And then now we're starting to see a rise of what we consider and we look at it internally as, as these secondary type algorithms that are actually looking across these different strategies for those times where they converge and, where, and seeing opportunities in those relationships. So, but I would say from a sizing, trend following is still the biggest systematic approach in the commodities.
0: The HC Insider Podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector with six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. So, moving on, this is it's such an opaque world. I mean, myself, my firm as a, as a search firm and talent advisory firm in the commodities world, you know, we're, we're very much in around the physical and the financial trading, but this is this is sort of a very much a, I guess, an opaque world, and and. It's very hard to divine what's its role, what's the size of it. And so I'm excited to kind of get you to elucidate on that. First off, one of the things we hear a lot about is high-frequency trading. Um, you, in our conversations, you know you don't think that's as relevant and predominant in commodities compared to other asset classes.
1: I don't. I think the they to have the high-frequency trading uh, involved, their edge is... Heavily reliant on frictional costs, you know, basically the cost of trade. And although I do believe that there are certain markets that may be able to uh, handle that in commodities, I do not think it can be deployed with the same veracity as it could be in currency equities, et cetera. So we do not really focus on that particular segment simply because we do not believe the assets trading that are nearly as large as the other ones we just mentioned
0: yeah but this is but where we where there is an enormous predominance and prevalence of these systematic approaches is in these in the managed futures commodity trading advisors right can you give us some sense of the scale and then also the 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 sort of the bizarre nature of the fact that there might be these incredible billions under, of AUM, but actually very, very few individuals
1: needed to deploy it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, it, it's, it is opaque. I think the late, you know, one of the later uh, estimates that put managed futures commodity trading advisors, that is, uh, around 300 billion. And the greater prevalence of those are systematic approaches, which are heavier in the energy and metals commodity segments. However, embedded in hedge funds, banks, prop trading firms, etc, they are deploying strategies similar to this. And the way we try to validate the levels and understand the size is heavily parsing out the commitment to traders' reports and, and looking for this. But it is it's a very interesting how these strategies can be embedded into these various areas outside of just the ctas
0: just staying on the ctas for a minute like you know what is their typical setup i mean is is commodities a slice or well i guess it's it's is their their entire focus i mean mean, and how many people are we talking are we talking sort of these luxurious offices in mayfair with three or four people inside and an armed guard out front kind of thing i
1: mean just to give us a bit of the, (laughs) the, the
0: human the human element to this
1: so I think you know, being in the, this industry and, and, and being very familiar with a lot of these, I would say there was a large swath of CTAs that did very well, came out of the 80s and 90s. Some worked for some very well-known traders. And that class really became the predominant commodity trading advisory firms still today. Uh, however, there is a lot of other CTAs out there who are still doing very well, but maybe not as much AUM. But most of it is concentrated o- amongst the few, in my opinion. Those firms typically will definitely be trading across all the segments that, that I mentioned, that is the currency markets, the fixed income, the uh, equities. And I would put them, about a third of their funds would be commodity-centric. Now, that's that's a broad estimate, but that's typically what we see, is two-thirds will be in more of the financial, and one-third will be across the commodities. And within that, I would say base metals and energies are predominant allocations.
0: And... This is going to sound so stupid. I'm sorry. But are there also managed futures funds that are ETAs, right? you know, uh, or, or other asset, focus on other asset classes. But, you know,
1: Commodity trading advisors are really kind of a, a term given to us by the uh, CFTC NFA. Hedge funds typically will have a component within their firm that has CTA-like strategies. So it's it it's a very unique i you know, i just remember encountering this when i first got into the business and i found it and i found it the most fascinating area of the commodities simply because of it being so new and so and, and so successful for some of these but i don't necessarily think i've heard any acronym outside commodities with firms like this i mean i think ctas and hedge funds would be pretty much very similar in in their infrastructure as well as their approach most likely the global macros more specifically
0: and in terms of assets under management can you just recap that for us and then i'd love to understand what impact you think these actors are having if any on the commodity markets themselves
1: uh i think the estimates for just CTAs is around 300 billion. And then within that, I would say the preponderance is in systematic. But again, I I think that hedge funds banks and proprietary trading firms are doing a significant amount of systematic trading, also not necessarily reported as clearly as some of the others. But again, I think the impact that they have on the Man, on the commodity markets is temporal when they converge, their strat, when the strategies converge, or when they have to adjust their positions. So let's just say they were currently say they are currently long and they are a reactionary based system that trades with, let's say, stops behind the market. When they are ultimately stopped out, they will reassess if they want to re-enter uh, uh, you know, long at some point, or if their underlying thesis changed, they then become sellers. And when you go from long to short, you're doubling your inventory that you have to sell. And if other firms you know, the, there's not a significant amount of disparity in the trend following models that will give one person a significant difference in when their thesis may change they can do that or excuse me you will see that over the tenor or the type of trend following is it shorter term which we say has an average hold of around 20 days medium term which has an average hold of around 50 days and then the longer term you know have an average hold in excess of 90 days within those segments, they tend to roll over or have similar, somewhat similar behaviors. It's when those type of algorithms start to converge on their liquidation or their thesis change, that's when you see those potentially exaggerated moves. And that's something we pay very close attention to and trying to validate. However, I also believe that you know, we don't always talk about the, the positives, which is they are providing liquidity to these markets. So, as you know, your your prior uh, guest was saying that it's important that if some of these markets were are to really grow, they do uh, having a speculative element providing liquidity is a good thing, but they, if they're going to provide that equity, you need to be disciplined. You just can't be a tourist coming into this market. So this is where if you have an algorithmic platform and you are coming in in a disciplined manner, it can work. Um, And that's where we see a significant amount of opportunity for these systematics. Now, uh, just quickly on the flip side is, the current state of affairs for the traders, traders out there without a lot of awareness on these algorithms is they are gonna have these moves that are hard to understand why they're happening. There's no fundamental reason for them. There is no seasonal issue. There's no geopolitical issue. Why are they moving like this? And why, is it, why can it be so fierce? That type of information is important for them so they don't destabilize, that their trade is not destabilized by some temporal event. That's very important for people to understand.
0: Yeah, I just remember, you know, my conversations, you know, my day job over the last decade, meeting with individuals who'd set up small hedge funds, which historically had been quite successful just focused in commodities, right? But then suddenly we're facing this challenging scenario where even though fundamentally they were right about their their supply and demand predictions and the impact on the market, it took so much longer for that to become true because of these, well they blamed it on trend following algorithms and therefore they just couldn't wear the risks in those trades to get to the, the end point of success. Is this a scenario now where whatever market participant you are, if you're a traditional refiner or producer or trading house, you can no longer even if you don't have systematic trading capabilities, you can no longer, you need to have insight into what's going on what the systematic traders are doing, because it is so impactful for the market and and events within.
1: Absolutely. And I think to understand how the markets evolved, and the influences on that market beyond just supply demand is paramount. Because to have the ability to understand algorithmic flow to have almost no you know have that awareness of how they work of how to build them will give you a competitive advantage in my opinion additionally these firms who i believe have better understanding of the market and and the direction of the market and understanding that their ultimate data that they're using to generate a bullish or bearish thesis, coupled with the disciplines of the algorithmic set of of traders, will give them a, a significant advantage. So number one, yes, you need to be aware and made aware. Secondly, you need to start thinking of potentially adopting some of the practices. And ultimately, if you are able to do that, I think you've got a very progressive and holistic approach that's going to give you an advantage.
0: Let's talk about, I guess, building or, or buying these, and we'll come on to buying, because building these, and I remember being at a presentation given by our head of technology, Rick Lee, these are expensive things; the capabilities to build. And actually, more importantly, they take a good number of years to really build the trust within the organization I'm talking about a traditional trading house or physical trader to demonstrate their capabilities right these aren't you can't build one of these overnight what does it take to build one what talent do you need to bring in I mean we're talking data scientists python developers you know
1: how how does this work so I think first of all you've got to think in terms of a platform approach that is are you, how are you ingesting data? How are you really managing the data? Because that is, believe it or not, sounds easy, but that is one of the most critical elements and most difficult elements is to be able to manage the data. Secondly, you've gotta have an an exploratory analytics segment where you're really just understanding the nature of this data and how it could be used as a standalone or within your, your prior trading models. And then, and only then, can you start building strategies and developing those based on having the data, having the, the, the foundational analytics. And once you start doing that, then you're building out your portfolio. And then, finally, you're going to create the order books to deploy. So the type of talent necessary is you have to have a practitioner who understands the markets, someone who's trading the markets, but someone who has the intellectual curiosity to really see the benefits and build along with that. You need a strong programmer who can come in and who can listen to the practitioner and build to that, you know, realistic, in the realistic trading world, because there is, I've seen theorists come in, brilliant people come in and unable to create a platform or an approach because, again, they weren't respecting the fact that there's a lot of different moving pieces and commodities and you need to have that. So I think it's going to be a, a coders. I think it's going to be practitioners. I think it's going to be data science and infrastructure. Someone who can, who can really understand how to link and sync and link all of these different components together and it 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 it's a challenge i mean it I've been in this business for you know three decades, and over the last twelve years have built this platform and it's a, it's an always an ongoing process
0: mm. and we get the sense that and we certainly know you know not that we can necessarily discuss these things, but there are obviously. Trading houses out there, hedge funds in commodities that have built really substantial platforms and are really seeing the results and it's but it has taken a good number of years to do that. There is the buy component here, and then this is where Bridgeton comes in, and it's relatively unique in in the offering that you've built because you know not everyone has the resources or the scale at which to build their own platform. But we've just said the sort of the thesis that we've developed is this, you're probably at a stage where you could no longer ignore the impact of systematics on the market. And there's also a significant opportunity if you have rich extrinsic data that you can start to build algorithms alongside those those built on intrinsic data. And that should give you quite a a market edge. Again, in this sort of fascinating idea that you only need a few of your 100 algorithms to work but when they do work, they produce outsized returns, right?
1: Yes, and you have to manage the risk of each one of those during those periods that they're not producing returns. So it's, it's almost how are you going to, A, build, B, how are you going to deploy, and C, how much of your internal data can you use to give those a bigger edge? And also, I think one of the most fascinating things that have come out of our business, this this particular business uh, over the last six years, is how we've seen the evolution of these traders. Meaning, in the initial stage of their relationship with us, they're just trying to get situational and market awareness. They're trying to understand where these flows are coming from, why these events are occurring, and really how to manage them. So that's the first sort of step that gives them the confidence that, okay, I really may need to look deeper into this. Then what happens is they tend to more deeply integrate these strategies. They look at how these strategies interact with their own ideas, and then they develop the skills, and then they start just ingesting our data. And then one of the final stages where a few have is they've actually provided us their fundamental thesis output, not anything that's uh, proprietary that goes into that, but they say, listen, if we show you what our bias was over this period and you integrate some of your um, algorithms within this, how does that look? And that is a point where they're like, okay, this makes, we do need to start contemplating adding this process internally. So it's a really fascinating evolution of a client going from somewhat skeptical, somewhat unaware to ultimately embracing this as a uh, an important component in their entire business model.
0: Yeah, and, and we should be clear, what you've created is essentially a uh, software as a service. You've created a capability, a platform of systematic trading in the commodities world that you can, that your clients, trading houses, et cetera, can come in and use that capability rather than having to, to build it themselves, um, or at least get familiar, as you say, with what this is and how it could potentially benefit their platforms.
1: Yeah, and that has been one of the most, um, for me, one of the most rewarding parts is helping people really get into a paradigm in which they can use a lot of their brilliant ideas and codify some of the other elements about position management entry to create a, a much more robust approach. And it's it's really, it's fun to watch. It's fun to be a part of. Yeah.
0: Okay, so where does this, zooming back out, where does this all go? In, in, in you know, we've got this increasingly rich, fertile land of, of, as we said right at the outset, more and more contracts on exchanges, more data, more powerful computers and more and more developers coding talent coming into the sector and almost we're at the point now where rather than traders going through sort of the operations you know typical operations risk management trading trader program there's almost this you know you also need to learn python and you also need to be a developer and we're seeing that you know to get anywhere near some of the top hedge funds out there you need that capability or at least the ability to work with those types of individuals. But where do you see? I mean, Let me just pick a number. Right, five years in five years' time, every commodity trading participant of a certain scale will have and need this capability. Are we there already? You know, what's the what does the future look like for this segment? And and, and I know I'm asking many many questions here. Sorry. Um, you know, <laughs> that AUM of three hundred billion today. That going to continue to grow substantially over the next five years as as investors get more comfortable and you see large firms like Pimco
1: etc. having very sophisticated CTA capabilities. I think it's an exciting time, one of the most exciting times in my career. And so, if you let's just let's step back into history and then we can kind of then forward project five years. Is there was always this very you know dual approach to trading the guys who are the the true s&d artists the discretionary etc and then you had the systematics and they were always operating in their own worlds and i would say over the last decade there has been the beginnings of what i consider the integration taking the best from both and integrating it into a single unified approach i believe that That will only continue to where, even if everybody adopted this hybrid approach, new ideas and new ways of interpreting data and new ways of approaching, it's going to create a a much more dynamic market. I don't necessarily believe that the underlying supply-demand shifts of the energy and metals will be driven by them, but I think what you'll have is you'll have a lot of different opportunities and you'll have a, I believe, a more concentrated set of players who were able to adopt and adapt to adopt the strategies and adapt to this new world. So I think it's going to be a very interesting time to see who and plays out you know, what ultimately shakes out of this shift. I think the incumbents will try to use maybe a parallel approach that is stay on, you know, keep their business model while adapting and adopting some of these new ideas. But I think we're only catching up to the currency equity players who have been doing this for quite some time together. I just don't think the commodity segment has caught up. So, I think commodities is is ripe for a very interesting you know move from a more traditional fundamental approach to much more dynamic.
0: Yeah, well, it's been really fascinating. i I certainly appreciated your patience taking me on this journey to understand, and and I you know I think it's it, it is an opaque world to some extent you know the, the, the you know this this world of the CTAs but absolutely has become ground zero in the talent world for us you know over the last three four years building these capabilities for our clients and I appreciate also you know getting the the, the chance to look through your your platform as well we'll put links to bridgeton uh, on the in the episode notes so people can can check it out and um, I guess people can find you on on
1: LinkedIn right Yes. And uh, our com website. So it's been a fascinating conversation. And I, I, you know, in in listening to your other podcasts, I think there's a lot of uh, really fascinating years ahead for us all in this growth. Excellent. Stephen, thanks very much for your time. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.